This is The Playbook. It's Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook. I'm so excited. I got another David here, and we have so much in common. David Seamus, he is the president of the Obama Foundation. That's right, President Obama, my hero. Went to Occidental College for a little bit uh, and has always been someone that I've looked up to. And to meet David Seamus, you see why. Because everyone he surrounds himself uh, has a mindset, a heart set, and a handset that is to provide value to others, to change the world, to impact the world. Welcome to The Playbook, David. David, you're really kind to have me on. I so appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. You know, you meet someone and you say, wow, that would be a really interesting job. And I've always tried to have those in my career by thinking outside the box. But the reason I find what you do so interesting is that I'm always looking for something that is an activity I get paid for that impacts the world. Yes. You didn't start off with that size, scope, and scale of a mission. And I know I didn't either. Mm. You know, what were some of the key aspects to build a self-image and a dream so big that you can impact the world? My parents, and it's a fitting that we're in Lisbon, Portugal today. My parents are two Portuguese immigrants who met in Africa, got married back in Portugal, and then became factory workers in Massachusetts in a small little Portuguese enclave in Massachusetts. And so, David, every day going to school was like going to America. And then when I'd come back home, I'd be back in Portugal. And before I left in the morning, my father would always say the same thing to me, the Portuguese word, respeito, uh, which is respect. And he would always then break it down for me in terms of you have to begin with respecting yourself in behaving in a kind of way that then shows respect for your family and that shows respect for your community. Because the moment that you show disrespect for yourself, please know that your behavior isn't just impacting you. You are an expression of your mother and father and of the Portuguese community that you come from. And understand, little boy, that you have a whole community of people who left everything behind who are trying to build a new life in the greatest country on the planet. And when they see you, you aren't just representing yourself. And so that constant reinforcement of, yes, you are yourself, but the choices that you're making on a daily basis are a reflection, not just of your family, but an entire community of people. It was the most annoying thing at first. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But over time, you just begin to see that you're both constrained, but then guided by that sentiment. And for me, it was just completely formative. And now it's not annoying anymore. It's, it's beautiful to hear. There's so many things to unpack in that small story. And it resonates once again, no doubt why I feel a synergy with you when I'm around you, a frequency, a neighborhood. When I grew up with a single mom, yeah. six kids in Akron, Ohio, her line when we left every day was remember the integrity of your home. Mm. And mm. that to me was very annoying. Yes. Um, but as a parent, you know, I, I'm a mathematician, a finance person, and I studied Einstein, the rule of 72, compound interest, simple interest of how money aggregates and when I look back at being a parent, I look at my mom and I said, it's really interesting how behavior is no different than money and our behavior is aggregate in the same way. Yes. And 
at first you may not see that if when your child's born you give them a thousand dollars when they're born and a hundred dollars every right. month and a thousand dollars on their birthday and they'll have right. two million dollars by the time they're 18. right i tell people that my mom wasn't very good with money but when it came to value and empowerment that I had $2 million when I graduated. Right off the bat. And, and when they say, how'd you make over a million dollars nine months out of law school? I said, because my mom invested in me. Yes, right? over and, and over. And your dad invested in you. Yes. Um, and to that investment is this self-image as you started with, what within. And I have a saying, you can never out-achieve your own self-image. Mm. But mm. self-image is real. It can't you can't pretend to self-image. You can project it onto other people, yes. but you have a self-image of worth, of value that you'll never overachieve. But you have to earn that. You and I feel the same way about America. Yeah. And one of my concerns is that we don't have a great self-image when, because of communication and information, we are looking at the wrong things. Yes. And we're finding the wrong things. I like you. This is still the greatest country in the world yes and there's i can't think i traveled the entire world like you there's no other place that you can absolutely have nothing yes and make anything you want lose it all and make it back again. and come back again david there there are a million people per year and tens of millions more on waiting lists who are looking to come to the united states on an annual basis you look at every immigrant community regardless of where they come from on the planet. And in one generation, by most metrics, in terms of college attainment, in terms of median household income, what they are putting in because of that desire to be part of this American story that sounds and looks a little bit different. But look, I will never forget, I was four or five years of age and my parents became citizens and they brought their little boy with them to the Kohanet Middle School in downtown Taunton, Massachusetts. And they're in a room with 50 other immigrants, mostly Portuguese from the Azores Islands, taking an oath, right? Not to a blood, not to a geography, but to this radical idea built around the constitution that we govern, we govern, not the politician, not anyone else, not the military, we govern. And so that idea so embedded in people coming around notions of freedom, notions of opportunity, are we perfect? God, no. But name for me one place on the planet that is, but then name for me another place on the planet where a million people per year are trying to get into. And so there is a beauty and a magic and a grit and a hard work uh, to it that we just can't take it for granted. And I know that after a couple of generations, you begin to take it for granted. And so embedded into the work that I have been doing and that the president has asked us to do is around this notion of citizenship is not a piece of paper. And it isn't voting once every two years or even paying your taxes or serving on a jury. Because if that's your approach, it is a consumptive what I am entitled to because I paid for it mentality, that's fine, but it loses what it means to be part of a community, which is a reciprocity of responsibility, just as you would in any business or in any leadership. It isn't extractive. It's what you put in. 
And I see so many people seeing their citizenship as a zero-sum game. Yes. There's some sort of trade or negotiation at, at all time that they think is inherent in capitalism and democracy. And, you know, I drive on a freeway in California, and I think to myself that the lowest level of people lived almost better than kings just 200 years ago when they founded this country. Yes. Kings, you, 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 I mean, I'm blessed to live this life that even kings couldn't dream of 200 years ago with the quality of healthcare and yes. food and transportation and all the things I can do with technology and the free time uh, to travel, all these things that they will never understand. But this idea of value add, mm. Mm. I, I, I see that we live in a value add country mm. and that a lot of people... Uh, need to be reminded, recollected, and remembered mm. to this value add. And that's mm. why there is a, over a million people a year that want to add value to our country because they're being stifled with their ability to collaborate, to be curious, and yes. create. Yes. And when I'm driving around better than kings 200 years ago, I think, thank goodness we live in a value add country. How can I yes. support? the message so that my children and their children can continue to live in the greatest value add place in the world. Yeah, it it's this America has always been this tension between liberty and union. The idea of liberty in terms of my individual capacity to make a difference, but also understanding that I can never do anything alone. It's in that nexus of liberty and union, it's the and that is the value that derives from the individual drive and talent that every person has that is different than anybody else's, but it is additive in terms of a community with collaboration, with community, with coming together as teams. If you're in a community and you see that there is a problem in your park, yeah, you can call the alderman or the city councilor or the mayor or the state rep or state senator, but that should be the last call. The first call should be what can we do something together with the talents that I have. The, David, the basics of community organizing, which my boss comes from a long line of organizers, right? It's, there are different versions, but asset inventory. What are the tools that we and I can bring to bear on a specific problem? Power mapping, working backwards from when the decision is made by whoever makes the decision to solve the problem or address the problem, what are the conditions that have to be in place in order for that to happen? Issue mapping. What is the thing that I care so deeply about that rather than I being paid to do it, I would pay to do it? And then narrative. What is the story that I can tell in a way that brings people together rather than tears them apart? What Deval Patrick, another old boss of mine, would say, there are two ways to lead, by having people turn to each other or on each other. And so that idea of an additive or giving value within that framework is at the heart of the American story. And it has been from the beginning. But as President Obama has been saying recently, these things are not self-actuating. Yeah. Citizenship is active. And so that's the reminder, I think, both for you and for me and for all of us, whether you are in entrepreneurship or in some other aspect of civil society. It's a responsibility that people have. It's interesting you say that because as I'm getting older and I'm having conversations with 
people I love, friends, family, who have separate opinions, different opinions of politics. Mm. And obviously connected to the Obama Foundation, politics are obviously inherently uh, identified with. Right. Um, and I really love the fact that we talk about turning to each other, not on, because as we get to these very detailed, separate, like these subtle differences that somehow have become huge differences. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's an issue. Yes. I'll turn to some of my friends and family that I may not agree with these subtle differences on. And I'll say, well, I don't want to leave her. It's not the issue that bothers me at all. It's not the issue. I see the issue and I can understand, you know, why somebody would feel the way that you do. Yes. But I don't want a leader who's turning me against you. Yes. Because we are trying to figure out a happy medium for people who have differing opinions. Yes. And I know that I don't know what I don't know. And I know that you don't know what we're both trying to figure it out our best in a trajectory for something better, because that's what this country is about. Yes. But I think too many leaders on every side yes. are turning against each other. Yeah. And why do you think today that is happening? I, there's a lot of blame, shame, and justification yeah. going on. Why? Yeah. But you've been involved in this a long time. A long time. Why, why do you think there's a propensity today to turn on each other instead of to each yeah, other? Yeah, the incentives, the incentives in any campaign to get to 50 plus one, but win a primary first, yield a specific type of strategies and tactics. If I know that in a primary for my party, 8% of the electorate is going to vote, and that 8% is the most partisan and ideological within my party, the incentive system for my to pitch specific types of messages are what they are. And in increasingly gerrymandered districts where winning the primary means you've won the election, essentially you have now sorted a substantial portion of the United States Congress, including many state legislatures, that are made up of these gerrymandered, primary-built, extreme constituencies. I'm not saying they're bad people or good people. I'm just saying they represent a narrow sliver of the extremes of American politics. And so the more precise we become about the gerrymandering in districts, the more precise then the message individuals like I used to be would say, look, if I deliver this message to this specific cohort, I know based upon whatever testing that I have that turnout will increase X and vote share will increase Y. The incentives are built then because in your mind, look, I just need to win. Because if I win, then I will govern in a way that is fair. appropriate and virtuous and fair for all. But what's the scar tissue that you have left, not just with the people who are about to become your colleagues, but to the cynicism that begins to flow from the electorate, where all the messages they're hearing is, not only is candidate A bad, but candidate B is worse. So I'll probably vote for the lesser of two evils, which is why John McCain, God rest his soul. In two instances at the end of 2008, there's that town hall where the woman stands up and said something about Barack Obama and John McCain in that classic way. So no, 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 ma'am. Barack Obama is a fine man. And if he wins, he will make a good president of the United States who will want to serve his country. Right. The courage that requires to do that was the first thing that struck me. But David, the thing that, and I urge everyone listening to this, if you have time, go to YouTube 
in YouTube McCain's concession speech on that night in November of 2008, where the first thing you see before you see Barack and Michelle Obama and the two girls coming onto the stage in Grant Park in a moment that I certainly will never forget as long as I live. But right before that, in Phoenix, Arizona, John McCain says, I just call the president-elect. Crowd began to boo. And once again, he's like, no, no, no. And he told the story about his hero, Theodore Roosevelt, welcoming black men and women to the White House. And what that election on that night said about the United States of America and where we've come was one of the moments of democratic, small d, grace and active citizenship in a beautiful way that I've ever seen. Like modeling that, notwithstanding all of the other stuff that happens, is the S and David, that can be taught and trained and ingrained in people because citizens are hungry for that. And so that's the space that we need to create. And that space is created as well with the foundation. Yes. And that foundation is one that I support and will continue to support. Thank you. Hopefully for my life. But it's one of turning to each other. Yes. And it's interesting because I will have conversations about some of determining where the buckets of support can be given because there's a broad range of support that the Obama Foundation gives. Yes. And if I extract out any names from the foundation and said, hey, let's talk about equity inclusion. Yes. Everybody's for it. Yes. Let's talk about being happy. Yes. Let's talk about being healthy. Let's talk. And we talk in really basic, real overwhelming things that we now take for granted. I always say, uh, do not take for granted what other people are wishing for. Our society in America is so advanced. Mm. The culture is so big and strong that we're starting to take for granted what we were wishing for. Yeah. Yeah. I I see it all the time. Imagine what an advanced culture this is. Unfortunately, because of that, we have time to look at such minute differences and turn them into great differences. What are some of the key focuses for the foundation overall? Not just the programs, there's multiple, and people can look them up. But I'm really interested in, there has to be an overall vision for the foundation. Yeah, imagine if in the next 20 years, we find 10,000 Barack Obamas and connect them together in a way that's never been done before. So that's, if, you, if, you're, if you're thinking about what do we do and what can we do at scale. So every year in the United States, beginning in January, we're going to select our first class of 100 Obama leaders, 25 to 40-year-olds, with a minimum of three years of leadership experience in either business, government, or the not-for-profit sector. We're not selecting you because of the specific sector you're working in. We are making a bet on the type of character and values and leader that you are in communities. We've done it in Africa, Asia, Europe. We're going to do it in Latin America. So by the time the campus opens in Chicago in 2026, on an annual basis, 500 new global Obama leaders selected every single year. And so in 10 years, in 20 years, you know as well as I, that these individuals who are part of this network will be CEOs, mayors, governors, prime ministers, bank presidents, head of not-for-profits, 
So individually, they're extraordinary, but back to what we said about the value add collectively, where they can turn to one another to say, look, I'm seeing this in Ghana. What experience do you have in Honduras or what experience do you have in Miami? And for the first time at the scale that we can bring, this network of change agents comes together. Final thing I'll say is from a mental model, if the United Nations building in New York is the place where government leaders go to convene to solve problems, the presidential center in Chicago, in the middle of the United States, is the place where the countries and the world's civic leaders come to do the same kind of thing. And so it's a generation of leaders where the president said, what can I do for the next 50 years that will add value in a way that others can't? And so this is the big bet that we're making as an institution in, um, that we're building. Well, we can't find outside of us what we can't find inside of us. The word appreciation means to add value and nobody appreciates this country more than you, President Obama, and all the people who are aligned with the appreciation, the acknowledgement, and the abundance that comes along with it. And that's what we will receive. Let's focus our attention and intention on what we want, not what we don't want. David Seamus, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an incredibly enlightening and empowering and inspirational interview, which I will go back and listen to multiple times. Come back anytime, join me. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.